This is the 46th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Bernhardt. With me are my fantastic co-hosts Robin Svensson and Christopher Wikström. All of us are very happy to have you here, dear listener. Hello, hi, how do you do? Hello, everybody. Stockholm Legacy Report can be found every week on the Top Tech tab. In this week's episode, we will report from our usual duo weekly wizards. Robin and Christopher have played Paper Legacy at our local game store. And after that, we will look at the new Bandit to Gathering set Streets of New Capella and see if it has anything in store for Legacy. But a bit of a Paper Play report first. As always, Robin, how was your week? My week was great, I should say, because this was the first week where we were actually playing in a league, gathering points for the finals. And uh, I took the meta. One Depic Storm, two Blue and Red Elver, one Doomsday, three times of Bant decks, one Grixis, one Mulch, one Jeskai, one Esper Blade, one Aluran, Two lands, one blue and black stacks, one Adnosium Tendrils, one Moon Stompy, one Cloud Post, one Death and Taxes, one Burn, one Elves. I think this is all of the decks. And one Bug Control. One I Bug played, Control. Is yeah, I played uh, Bug Control in round four. The the Lone Bug. All right, I missed that. It was a sweet list. Very cool, and we set a new record for our... Thursdays at Alpha Spiel with, uh, was it 21 players? Yeah, I think 21? so. It, it yeah. felt like a lot of people. And uh, yeah, everyone was just psyched being there. It was cool. Yeah, it was so cool. And and also, like, shout out to our buddy Andreas C for taking it down with Yukal Haups. That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. That's, uh, yeah, Yukal Haups. It's <laughs> insane. And while while we're on the topic of shouting out Andreas's, we have yeah. to shout out The Hope. The who hope. took down uh, the, the Sunday challenge with mono black depths helm. So yeah. big Fucking shout out to the hope. The hope. Yeah, yeah, that's very cool. And he's been rocking that deck at the local game store as well and doing quite well with it. Yeah, for sure. I I, I think uh, this jargon of, you know, the hope thing, I think it's getting to me because he just casually wrote to me and I was like replying the hope like <laughs> unironically in the message and i'm like i have a problem now <laughs> but yeah super cool both with the jukalopes uh taking down our lgs uh first day and uh mr hope bringing down the sunday challenge yeah that was very cool and for me i brought uh newly uh, put together eight mulch so i like a little bit disappointed with the showings of my land deck in Gothenburg, obviously, going 3-3-1. Three, three, now turning it into a more all-in versions with 8 mulch. So I'll give you a, a quick rundown through the list. It's quite easy. So 4 crop rotation, 4 exploration, 4 mana bond, 4 life from the loam, 4 mulch, and 4 winding way. And then there's land package, 1 blast zone, 1 boyuka bog, 2 boseju who endures, 3 dark depths, 4 fields of the dead, 1 Caracas. 3 Maze of It, 2 Richard and Ports, 1 Tabernacle at the Pendle Whale, 4 Thespian Stage, 4 Wastelands, and then the actual mana producing lands Verdant Catacomb, Windswept Heath, Wooded Foothills, 1 Snow Covered Forest, 1 Ordinary Forest, 2 Taigas, 1 Grove of the Burn Willow, and 2 Yavin Maya Cradle of Death. Sorry, Cradle of Growth. <laughs> <laughs> Cradle of Death. Cradle of Death. Cradle of Filth. Um, like a deathcore band. Dark Magic Gathering. 
this was a little bit of an improvisation and actually I think the mana base was a little bit too few green sources. I mulled a lot mm. hands that would have been good with a green source but didn't have one. Yeah, and I, th- I think uh, uh, we talked about it a bit in the car, I think. I can't, re- I can't remember if, it's, if it was on the way there or back, but we talked about the multiple tabernacles thing that uh, some people has been playing in 8 mulch. Yeah. And uh, they're like, yeah, so um, trying two tabernacles out, uh, you know, tabernacle at Pendrel Vale. I'm like, two tabernacle? I only afford one Il Tabernacolo della Valle Pendrel, like so. <laughs> I have the Italian copy. Like Yo, people yeah, are only rocking two or one. Three. Did I say two tabernacles? No, 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 no. But it's it's a hot topic. I've heard a lot yeah, of people yeah, yeah. talking about bumping up the numbers, and I'm like, man, man, what's yeah, the that's... difference? Like, it would be interesting to see like some st- statistics of like how fair matchups play out with the added tabernacle. It's just just a thought. Yeah. So uh, the sideboard, I should say also, I was like it entirely focused on beating unfair decks. So four endurance, four blasts, four veil of summer, one mind break trap, and two force of vigors. <laughs> so that's a that's a statement. Out right to get them. Uh, yeah. So uh, in game one, I've uh, I should say that I may have some of the numbers wrong here. So any listeners that feel uh, that I am. Uh, like, uh, not telling the truth about the matchups. I'm sorry for my bad memory. <laughs> but I, I faced off against Grixis Control at the first match. And I think that I won 2-1 to one there. And then I faced off against our friend The Hope on lands. And succeeded to actually win 2-0, if I recall correctly. Thanks to, like, all the exploration effects, obviously. You get a huge advantage with playing more lands than the lands deck. So to say. Then I took my loss against Blue and Red Delver. We had a super grindy game one. And then in game two, uh, I felt like in a great position, but uh, screwed it up and died to our best friend, Price of Progress. <laughs> and then I succeeded to beat Experimenter. And I think it was a 2 0, but I can't really recall. But uh, Field of the Dead, very strong in the fair matchups. That's all I can say. And uh, like, I think that Pyro, that uh, Price of Progress is basically unbeatable for this deck. So I'm actually trying to move up on uh, green sources and among them one extra fetch and two drops so that I can play Flusterstorm in the board. Because I think that's like the only way to beat <laughs> Price of Progress and like if pe- people are playing from the ashes or ruination that kind of effects. You need to like counter that for good I think. So that's my plans of going ahead so... But the 3-1 with my first time on 8 March felt very good. Yeah, it looks great. And, I mean, I think those sideboard thoughts uh, probably correct. Uh, seeing as sort of... You, you, you came prepared for a certain type of matchup and then you lost to a matchup that you weren't really prepared for. And that, I think, I guess, is just sort of basic teaching yourself how to play with a deck. And you can't sort of theoreticize that too much, even though sort of you can get you can read up and you can get access to sort of this is what you should do in this matchup and this is what you should do in that matchup. I just think just sort of put together a non-optimal sideboard, go play the fucking deck, and then yeah. see sort of how does that work, because you need to get the reps in anyway. Yeah, that's definitely true. Getting getting the reps in is uh, super important. And that's why, you know, when you have enough grist reps, you always plus on Uro. <laughs> oh, what the fuck? 
I sold my last copy of Urum, just saying. Never. <laughs> never doing uh, that. <laughs> How did it go for you, Christopher? I had a bit of a bumpy night. You know, sometimes the deck doesn't really cooperate. I played a 60-card version of Aluren that I saw someone 5-0 with this league. Or I saw it on Twitter. The... The deck dump hadn't come yet, but it it basically ran eight Strixes and four Uro in the main. I was like, fuck yeah, let's draw some cards. And uh, my round one opponent, I actually lost against Lance again. So actually, I'm, I'm down two Lance matchups in a row with 60 card Aluren, which is very unusual for me. And it wasn't due to Busage or anything. Like, it was a fast merit in one of the games, and in the second game... I think I mulled and got super blown out by by a choke or something. Mm. But you know, it happens and I think um I think the version that I played didn't really have any good ways of uh, stopping certain things. I had two abrupt decay in the sideboard as removal for stuff like uh, sphere resistance and choke. And the list that I looked at actually ran zero in the 75. So I think, uh, yeah, it might be it might be a bit different uh, playing uh, the online meta versus our LGS where choke is a very popular card. Uh, I I feel like. But then. I went on to play against uh, Yorion Taxes, and game one I got super Caldrad, uh, like Caldrad completed. I was just playing Strixes, and uh, uh, you know they resolve a turn two Stoneforge Mystic getting Caldrad, and I'm like, oh man, I really need to find a Luren quick. You don't mean that you got completely Caldrad because that's probably yeah, I got <laughs> completely Caldrad. <laughs> oh man, man, it, it sounds like you should should have. Uh... Like, benefited from a decay there, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, like, a lot of the times when you're on a learn, if their plan is called a complete, you can take free hits and just win anyways, um, which is one of the beauties with a deck. But then in, in game two, I showed what I was about. I did have, like, multiple... Aluren in my hand. So when I did my first thing, my opponent was... Uh, with Acererac on the stack, they played a recruiter for Skyclave Apparition and ate the uh, Aluren. So then the, the turn after, I pondered and found my second Acererac and then played my, my Aluren. And then I played Acererac again and they played another recruiter, got another Skyclave and played a Skyclave number two. And then I just played a second Acererac. <laughs> it's kind of like uh, the Hobbits, you know. But what about second Acererac? <laughs> it, it felt like one of those moments. And uh, game three, like we got into this grind fest that was going extremely bad for me. Like uh, I think Robin was spectating this match. My, op- my opponent got to do like such a big Yorion flip. They flickered five creatures. It was a, a Flicker Wisp, a Skyclave Apparition, a Stoneforge Mystic and uh, something more. And I still won. <laughs> <laughs> like that's the and and like at that moment I had three cards in my hand and uh, like a grist in play one endurance and two strixes or something but that's the the power of friendship <laughs> the Aluren and Aserak are two hella friends friendship is magic friendship is magic then I went on to play against TS and uh, this was a pretty quick uh, O2 it's it was kind of it was kind of tricky it felt like uh, it's 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 one of those matchups that's just 
it's supposed to be extremely hard. Uh, they're such an efficient combo deck and they get to board into things like uh, defense grids and stuff like that if, if they have that in the sideboard and not the main. But it's just like extremely tricky because you need to not only get to four mana, but you also need in this version to have cards that does something. Uh, it's not like you have to just have the recruiter because in the 60 card version, uh, you don't play recruiters. So you have to just chain Strixes into an Harpy. And if you find an Uro, then you know you're good. But against uh, a deck that's as efficient as uh, TS, it can be really stressful to do so. The list that I played played two Fluster Storms in the sideboard and a, a Force of Negation, but it's still just like extremely hard. Their their entire main is just built to beat Counter Magic with the place at Veil of Summers and stuff like that. So yeah. it was a pretty brutal O2. And then in the last round, I did play against Bug Control. Yeah. And uh, game one was super grindy, but I lost it. Like when it comes to the grind factor, I do have a lot of dorks that do draw cards. But when you're faced up against Liliana of the Veil, uh, Loam Wasteland, and eventually Field of the Dead, it does get really tricky to, to get past it. If uh, You can't really stick important things into play or keep your uh, value that you're drawing. Then it, it gets pretty tricky to grind out. But then I knew what I was up against. I... I just decided to slot in some sweet cards, like cut cut some bops, uh, like uh, get them bird of paradise out of there, get some carpets in, get some endurances, you know, some extra beaters. Mm. And uh, game two, I managed to combo my opponent out. And game three, we were low, uh, running a bit low on time, and my opponent was like, "Oh, if we if we don't manage to finish, uh, uh, you can have the win. It's fine." I'm like, it's okay. And then I just go like, turn one carpet, he forces. Okay, turn two carpet. <laughs> go to second main. Grist. <laughs> uh, and then like, turn four or five, alert and kill. That's the grist of her treatment. Yeah, it's the grist of her treatment. <laughs> They're never ready for the second carpet. But yeah, I went I went to two and uh, it was fine. I, I'm not sure if I loved the list. I think I enjoyed my list that I played at the Nationals more. It felt a bit more round. But uh, yeah, it was fun trying out uh, a different take on 60 card. It seems like you guys had some really nice format diversity going on as well. Like I counted at least sort of 15, 16 very different decks. And uh, that's like, again, the beauty of uh, Paper Legacy is that that kind of diversity you just won't get that in an online tournament like it's never gonna happen regardless of the uh, level of stakes i mean considering this is a i mean comparatively pretty low stakes event sort of let's be fair and uh, i'm just really happy to see that that's wonderful April marks the date when the new Magic the Gathering set Streets of New Capenna becomes legal. Personally, I have nothing against a top-down art deco style magic set. I love that. But I really wonder why Wizards of the Coast feel the need to feed into the tropes of popular cultural portrayals of organized crime in the United States in the 1920s. 
I mean, in reality, organized crime in the 1920s was, as well as it still is in the 2020s, a very brutal affair. Trafficking, narcotics, extortion, murder. I mean, I don't know if I need this in my magic. I just want to get that out. And with that out of the way, let's look anyway at this set and see do we have any cards in this set that holds relevance for Legacy. Robin, take it away, please. All right. So uh, thanks, Christopher, for <laughs> putting this card onto our show notes sheet. Currency Converter. It's an artifact for one colorless mana. Whenever you discard a card, you may exile that card from your graveyard. That's a static ability. Then you may tap two and this artifact to draw a card, then exile... No, sorry, then discard a card. And you may also tap this artifact to put one of the cards exiled with Currency Converter into your graveyard. If it's a land card, create a to- treasure token. And if it's a non-land card, create a 2-2 Black Rogue creature token. So this is a little bit like a waste nut, you could say. Like it, it will do things when you discard cards, like make treasure mana or make creatures. And it also has a built-in way to to discard card but it also like triggers on other ways to discard cards you can put this in a deck that will uh, or is made to discard cards so this card has been talked about a little bit in lands like obviously you have some discard outlets there the main ones are of course mox diamond where you will discard a land and uh, other ones are the cycling lands and like you could Obviously, put more of that kind of effects into your land stick if you want. But when I see this card, I think about Lilian of the Whale. So, like, you can break the symmetry of Lilian of the Whale by using, like, this card to generate extra effects. And maybe you're discarding a land that you can loan back or something of that. Uh, maybe it's a punishing fire that goes to the grave that you can put back. And you have a 2-2 Black Rogue as well then. This is a card that obviously can be found off Ursa Saga, since it's a one uh, CMC artifact with the exact mana cost of one colorless. So that's pretty cool. You can tutor it up, and then you can get some extra value of your like this, like your, your symmetric discard effects, like smallpox or Lilan of the Whale plus. And uh, I think it's a pretty cool card. I'm not sure that it's all that good, but it it seems pretty cool. What do you think about it? Yeah, isn't this like um, sort of really wanted to try this out if you were to play mono black pox uh, with a place at the Versa Sagra? I think uh, this would be a nice Ursa target, probably. For the sort of, because sort of, this is not something you want to do early anyway, because it's sort of, it is a bit slow and you can't really get it going until turn, I mean, three in theory at the earliest, considering if you sort of follow your mana curve. But sort of later in the game when you sort of pop your Ursa, why not like to sort of uh, to 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 gain advantage because you get these treasure tokens right uh, and they must be quite valuable no pun intended in a pox deck so another card that would fit into this Lilian of the Veil deck is tenacious underdog so this is a black creature human warrior for one colorless and a black mana it's a 3/2 and it has the ability of Blitz, two colorless and two black and pay two life. And Blitz means that if you cast this spell for the Blitz cost, it gains haste. And when this creature dies, draw a card. Sacrifice it at the beginning of your next end step. And Tenacious Underdog can also 
be cast from your graveyard using its Blitz ability. So like mm-hmm. in its uh, you know vanilla form, this is a 3-2-4-2. That's not terrible. It's not super good either. But like the, the thing is, of course, that when you get up to four mana, you can start casting it hasty from your graveyard to pressure your opponent's life total and even more so planeswalkers, which is like always a problem for like black uh, based like pox ish decks that if your opponent is not playing all the creatures that you want to pox away you might be losing uh, like a card advantage game against the jace or something like that so this is like a recurring bolt and it will also draw your card uh, when it dies when you blitz it so that's like a little bit of card advantage engine possibly if you can sustain the life loss of two damage each like time you blitz it of course but maybe you are like playing this in a sort of a, a bug loam deck or something yeah, like that yeah maybe like Grixis Delver like uh, for me i i really yeah. i really like this card it feels like it's a good mana sink for delver and maybe if you're not going uh, like in a near future where a certain dragon might not be legal this might be a great uh, place to start looking for other delver variants like when you said that free two for two isn't like uh, super amazing i actually think that free two for two is amazing like i'm on the other side of the camp that's that's a flip delver on the ground it's not a delver but it does have an upside which is the mana sink draw card bolt because if if two life matters too much to you if you're a delver deck that a lot of times means that you're already kind of losing so this feels like it's just made for those style of decks as well yeah it feels like it could be a little bit of snowbally almost yeah yeah i mean the the, the drawing a card per turn you do this blitz thing uh, ability really does make it interesting because if you do that three times that's probably going to be good for you. Yeah, like unlike Uro or other like flashback effects, this just comes out of the graveyard and then goes back in. It doesn't have to exile other cards. It's like independent. And that's uh, that's a big plus. Yeah, and, and it's like, it. of course, it's a graveyard synergy, but it will also beat like the ley lines that are popular against Delver these days where like the whole deck is so dependent on the graveyard. And like in that situation, your Delvers is your only beater. This will at least be a 3-2, even in those situations. So yeah, I kind of like this card. Yeah. And of course, it's super sweet to discard these to Liliana on turn three and then just like bash in for, for three the, your next turn. Yeah, That's or if you go turn two young Pyromancer... And then uh, you go turn free, discard, cabal therapy your opponent, flash it back, and then just start blitzing it from there. I don't know, maybe that's a bit of a stretch, but it, it, with Liliana and stuff like that, uh, I feel like a lot of Liliana decks might have a problem, you know, um, running away with their advantage. They're really good at making the sh- sure that the opponent doesn't do anything. But with this card, you can plus Liliana and then blitz this. Yeah, yeah it's really nice. super strong. So what do you have for us, uh, Christopher? So um, with all of these mafia families, and you know, um, I'm not going to go too much into magic invented drugs or whatever they're... <laughs> One of the shards or families or whatever they're called is uh, Esper Colored. And two cards that caught my attention that I feel might be 
good enough for some sort of Esper control or Esper vial. The first one is is uh, void rend, and this is kind of like a, a no brainer for some people. It's a it's a less it's a less wide vindicate, but it can't be countered. So I feel like. Um, if you really need to get get rid of certain things in control matchups, this is just... Kappa Cannoneer. Kappa Cannoneer is a perfect example. But also just like, uh, maybe you really need to remove a Teferi uh, to unlock all your forces and stuff like that. This card is going to do it. Like a white, blue, and black instant. This spell can't be countered. Destroy target. Non-land permanent. So this is pretty much the abrupt decay for Esper. The... It's it's unsure, like, I do think that this might be on the same level, if not better, than Decay. Because uh, the mana curve of uh, the mana curve in Legacy is, uh, sure, a lot of things is, uh, is below free. But a lot of those things you can handle uh, if you're a Esper deck uh, with Prismatic Ending and stuff like that already. But uh, things that this remove is Sneak Attack, Omniscience, Alluren, Jace removes Kappa Cannoneer, Merktide Regent, and all of this uncountable. So I think I do think that this is a pretty nice inclusion. Maybe in the sideboard for some nasty matchups, maybe as a one-off, uh, but I do think that it's good. It removes Teferi at source yeah. speed. And that's uh, super helpful. But it also removes all of those uh, nasty reanimated targets. I was just going to say it removes Crystal Brand. The <laughs> the second card that I was thinking about for Espervile is uh, Nimble uh, Larcenist. What the hell ever yeah. that is? Are you a Larcenist? I am a Larcenist. Larcenist. It's it's a lark. I think it's a lark. Oh, you know, Latinca. yeah. yeah. Lark, I'm gonna Google Larcenist while you do this. And uh, you know, I'm a bird tribal player. I had to represent my bird homies. <laughs> uh, this is for. One white, blue, and a black. It's a bird rogue creature. 2-1 flying. And when it enters the battlefield, target opponent reveals their hand. You choose an artifact, instant, or sorcery from it and exile a card. So it's just exiled full stop. Wow. It's not one of those, uh, oh, until it leaves the battlefield. No, you just exile it. And I do think in a deck like... Esper Vile, having this as a one-off to tutor for, to just be able to harass your opponent's hands in maybe the draw step or just at the end of each of your turns with a soul herder. I do think that this is worthy as a one-off. There are similar effects, but a lot of them might be focused on discard or discard uh, of your opponent's choosing or uh, like uh, the, uh, the... What's the... The flying human in the human stack. But it's like, it's only a temporary card removal. This is just like, let's exile that. And it's repetitive as well. Kind of like my explanation of the card. I remember this, um, I mean, this uh, sort of similar to this was when Sin Collector was a thing in uh, Standard uh, a long time ago now. And also a little bit in Modern, actually. That effect was really powerful there. Just for the sort of the, the for the English native speakers, sort of this couple of sort of thirty seconds might bore you out. But actually, larceny, actually larceny, is the the unlawful taking of personal property with the intent to deprive the rightful owner of it permanently, i.e., essentially steal. just yeah, to steal theft. something forever. <laughs> 
<laughs> theft. <laughs> That's larceny. But then again, lark is of course a bird, and the image of this card, you feel like this is like a human humanoid body with a lark head and pretty big wings. So there might be a bit of a play of words here as well going on. I don't know. If you have any <laughs> English teachers in the listener base, please reach out in the Discord and explain if this is a yeah. funny wordplay or just... I think I think the creature type gave it away, that it's a bird rogue. I think it, uh, if, it it's both. It's both. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like, uh, like you mentioned, um, Sync Collector is a card. Uh, that exists but this not only also snatches artifacts and flies it's also blue so it pitches the force as well i just i just think this card is a banger as a (laughs) one-off you know representing those birds out there then let's address the elephant in the room is this the new oko (laughs) no this is not the new oko Uh... we're talking about obnixilis the adversary so, of course, it's a legendary planeswalker, Nixilis. And it's a one black and a red. And uh, when you cast it, um, it has casualty X, which means that you can copy this spell. And uh, the copy isn't legendary, because else it would have been a pretty mediocre effect. <laughs> yep. But you get a copy of Obnixilis, which isn't legendary, that has X loyalty, depending on the power of the sacrificed creature that you decided to cast the spell with. The original copy enters with free loyalty, and it has, like, I think one really good ability, which is the plus. Uh, I'm really into that. And it's just, like, each opponent loses two life unless they discard a card. And if you control a a demon or a devil, you gain two life. The reason why I think this is really good is if you curve something like a Baleful Strix into this on turn three, if you're a Grixis player, you're just starting to pseudo him your opponent or making them pay a lot of life to keep their cards. And I just think that's extremely nasty because you, you do get two pluses on the first turn. So it's like, do you want to lose four life, two life and a card or two cards? And it's like planeswalkers can be really tricky to get off the table. And this is just such a nasty card that's going to put pressure on early. And uh, legacy players, I know you, you're, you're going to take two a lot of times because you're like, oh man, I'm not going to give up my cards. But no, of course not. then this is uh, uh, like what? Uh, four damage a turn from starting from turn three. And I think that's, pretty powerful quite aggressive yeah and like uh, when you finally decide to (laughs) diverge from uh, taking damage then you're just down to zero cards and then it starts doing damage again so it's it's cool for sure so the mind the ultimate is quite interesting as well especially if you can find some way to sacrifice uh, a fatty to get into ultimate territory at once yeah i was just gonna say i think one thing that I want to do here is I want to play this in the black red ball lightning. Deck. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> is it is it a sacrifice at the end of turn? Yeah, yeah. Oh hell yeah! So uh, I mean, of course, 
it's a bit of the meta heavy side so this might might sort of be a one of addition in the ball lightning deck if you ever get to the six mana but i'm just saying but maybe maybe there's like uh, some twisted universe where you can play like uh, you know those kiln fiend decks that plays yep. mu- mutagenic growths and stuff like that and uh, this kiln fiend that uh, gets massive i think there's a uh, is it Cyclops as well? I can't remember exactly what it's called, but whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, they get like plus three, plus three, or plus three, plus O, oh, and stuff like that. Like maybe it's uh, one of those gut shot decks where this is just a card that after you've done all that, you play this and then you just target yourself and you draw a new hand, <laughs> which is just all burn and pump. Yeah, I must personally say though I'm gonna be a killjoy. Uh, I think this card kind of sucks. <laughs> like I really don't see the plus. Like it's like walking around a very long distance to get to something that you can do much better with a lot of other cards in in these colors. Yeah, but I'm thinking like for free mana. Imagine if your opponent does stick this from a baleful strix and they. Start plussing right away. If you're a fair deck, you need to pressure. You need to get them off the table because they're probably going to deal more damage than you are unless you start discarding cards. And if they're packing like Grixis removal, it's going to be super hard to pressure these guys. So I just I just think like the plus is the interesting thing. It's like pseudo, pseudo mind rotting your opponent each turn. And they're not going to do that. So it's it's pretty much... Imagine if a planeswalker had a plus one deal four damage to an opponent it's almost like double chandra for mana chandra so i don't know then I, I... again if your opponent plays tenacious underdog jokes on you yeah, yeah that's true but i do think that there's there are some interesting things maybe you can put this in a murktide deck and just like uh, start plusing a lot i don't know i just i just think that it's we'll pretty see. good i could like, be wrong here i'm just saying the minus two, we didn't mention it. It's a create a 1-1 one, one devil creature token with uh, whenever this creature dies, it deals one damage to any target. That's a quite powerful Mog Fanatic ability. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I think it's, it's, uh, it's pretty lukewarm, but uh, it's not nothing. Are you calling Mog Fanatic lukewarm? Well, it was better when it when tr- like damage was on the stack. I'm gonna I mean, say what is lukewarm is that comparing the art direction for this Obnixilis the adversary to the first time I met Obnixilis, which was Obnixilis reignited when he was just this huge fuck of black mass of a sort of Balrog demon, and now this is sort of he stands in some kind of golden armor. I'm I'm not here for that. I'm sorry. <laughs> this yeah. is this is not where this is not where I want my Obnixilis to be. This is way less scary. Like it used to be it used to be Manoroth and this is just some random guy in 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 a sort of NPC city. But I even think like uh, Reignite that is is not the scariest version either. When when he was uh, I think his original printing was uh, the first Sendikar with Landfall and that card was such a banger. It was like Sure, a free free for five mana or six mana. Oh yeah, there it is. Like Robin picked them up on his phone. The fallen. So it has landfall, and I I I think like it got a lot of counters and did damage to the opponent or something. Yeah, and the art like that's a menacing demon. Love it. 
Uh, but yeah, this one, like, uh, <laughs> who gave who gave uh, Nick's list uh, fashion advice? <laughs> gotta kill that. Yeah, family. it's like you 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 like force a suit on your demon body. Like now you go to the prom. <laughs> it's like yeah, kind of want to. Kind of looks like um, more closer to Thanos than uh, than what he used to look. But how anyway, it started how it's going. You're like, <laughs> not <laughs> well. It's it's not great. Anyways, I do have I do have a last card. I was looking at this card as well. <laughs> Extremely sweet. Great. It's called Halo Fountain, and it's uh, an artifact for two and a white, and it has white untap uh, a tapped creature control. White tap. White tap untap a target creature you control uh, create a a one one green and white creature token and then two and uh, two and tap uh, untap untap two tapped creature man it's a lot of tap and untapped <laughs> reading this you control draw card and then it has five tap untap 15 tapped creatures you control <laughs> you win the game this is but, five white, notabene. Not just five any. Five yeah, white. F- five white. So for me, I'm just like always trying to think about silly things. And, you know, a lot of times I wander into, you know, the, uh, what's that word? Intruder alarm. Uh, the, the card, the enchantment, the five man enchantment that untaps all the creatures. And I'm just thinking like, with a card like this, if you're playing an Uro deck with Birds of Paradise... It gets extremely easy to just create a 1-1 one, one for free, but also just untap your Uro or whatever you attacked with when your opponent is attacking. And if we can find a really lean way to untap this, we go infinite, baby. My, my thinking, like there is this sort of infinite sort of shimmering around this card that sort of just waits to be found out. Yeah, I'm going to get there. Don't worry. I'll freaking get there i'll uh, build the most inefficient deck that's gonna make this happen right after my five color natural order tiamat deck that uh <laughs> read read the fucking card uh, dot deck yeah amazing i think uh, this opens up for some really interesting like fun things and you know i'm all about uh, shiny like mythic artifacts and uh, whenever i see a card that has untap on it i always get psyched um i'm starting to think about could could this go into like uh, what what good untap abilities like what what good creature tap abilities do we have and what untap abilities are there in the format um how do we go infinite with this so it's going to be really interesting i'm going to see if i can cook something up but my first thought was that um the uh, what's that name the stitcher it had like a, a modern combo uh, the jeska ascendancy combo where it just untapped or did a lot of stuff um so I'm I'm, I'm kind of like in those in those lanes, but you need to get the mana in there somewhere. But I'm on it, fam. Christopher, hear me out about this lane. You slam two of those artifacts onto the battlefield, then you animate artifact on one of those, so that, so it's a creature Ooh. as well. <laughs> and then oh. you, <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> then you can untap it with the other one. <laughs> yeah, broken. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh man. 
then it uh, then it can untap itself maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but the, those are those are my cards. I'm I'm actually most excited about the Esper Vile cards and particularly that the uh, Larkinist Larsenist uh, situation. I do I I dread the day that uh, I'll get blown out by this, but I think it's a very cool card and I had to shout out the bird. So I hope um, it comes in uh, etched foil. Yeah, <laughs> I had I had to flip flip the bird. Um, but Victor, tell us about what you're bringing. Yeah, I have one card for you guys, and this is uh, a cemetery tampering, which is an enchantment for two and a black. It has hideaway five, and that's part of a cycle. There is this hideaway five cycle, and incidentally, also this slightly erratas how hideaway works, but that's you can Google for that. So anyway, at the beginning of your upkeep, you may mill three cards. Then, if there are 20 more cards in your graveyard, you may play the exiled card without paying its mana cost. So, this is essentially a self-mill reward engine. And I think there are a very good number of sort of potential self-mill cards in the card pool of Man to Gathering. And I'm thinking that if you want to be creative and innovative, I think this might be a card that you can use to push blue-black mill self mill into something interesting because of course with the hideaway you can put anything under there Uh, and then you just sort of have to choose which is going to be my fantastic sort of ending the game card is that going to be just sort of an emrakul because you get to uh, sort of uh, play the card as well so you get that sort of extra turn and so on and so forth or are you going to put omniscience i mean you, you can put sort of you know a random any number of cards in there that are powerful so uh, I think that's cool. It has potential. Um, sort of in sort of, I mean, potential. Sort of this whole set is pretty lukewarm for Legacy, which I think most people are happy about. But this, I think, is interesting uh, in a sort of, in a way, if you own Underground Seas, it might be worth to see <laughs> what you can do. Yeah, like my my uh, eyes are drawn towards uh, the GAC decks, decks for this. Um because uh, like uh, this is kind of like a clunky stitcher supplier that's gonna do some things but getting 20 cards into your graveyard is not super tricky i think it might be a trap to put this in uh, a deck with omniscience emrakul because if you mill one of your emrakuls you have to restart yeah and that's that's super scary um but I don't know. I I like this card. I I think the art is uh, silly in the best way. Uh, I like it. Like it. I like it. Uh, it's also like I'm trying to figure out. There are so many weird lore lore things with this set that I'm just I'm not gonna get into that. But just cemetery tampering. Like what is that even? Like I have mixed with your cemetery. Haha. <laughs> yeah, I have switched Somebody around with corpses. We. Like, no one will know because, like, <laughs> no one looks underneath the ground in a cemetery. You sort of just go there and you mourn and you sort of, you know, you look at the beautiful tombstones and whatnot. But sort of, the, the, what, what does the tampering do? Someone, again, with sort of, I'm I'm missing some 1920s Art Deco mob reference here. So, here's, um, a, here's please. an educated guess. This cemetery is actually on the moon of Innistrad. 
and it's Emrakul that they're burying right now. It's Tamio uh, in the background over there. And this is the... Moving my mouse <laughs> over to mute, Christopher. <laughs> nah, but like, uh, look, you can see the moon in the background, but that's actually only a giant mirror uh, mirroring down back <laughs> to <laughs> the moon where Tamio actually buried Emrakul or did whatever. But... Uh, and that is all we have <laughs> this week. We hope you've enjoyed this as much as we've enjoyed recording it as per usual. If you like the show, uh, tell a friend uh, that you think should listen to this shenanigan as well. Uh, I'm sure this is a great intro episode for everyone. If you want to de- debate the relationship between Magic Gathering and the real world, you are welcome to join the Discord server. Find the link in this episode description, please. In addition to Discord, you can also hit us up on Twitter at STHLM Legacy, Stockholm Legacy. We are also present personally on some social media. Robin, where can our listeners find you? Uh, I'm best to find in the Discord server, but I'm like also on Facebook and Reddit and so on. Yeah, you'll find me on the Discord as well. Or, uh, my new Twitter handle, Tamyogate. No, um, you, c- <laughs> you can find, yeah, <laughs> Tamyogate Larkinist. Nah, you can find me on Monolith MTG. And you can find me on Disco Drogo at Twitter as well. And that is the end of the 46th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report. Thank you, Robin Sien. Thank you, Christopher Wikström. Warm thank you for listening all the way to the end. Brave effort. Uh, the Great Frenes has, as always, written our music. You can find their work on Spotify. Until next time, bird is the word.